What's up, everybody? Michael Johnson here with the Business Choreography Podcast. I'm excited you joined me today because today we have John Vonka. He is the owner of Ping Productions. He's a copywriter, an ideas guy, an audio fanatic, and creative director that specializes in podcast production, brand work, pitch decks, and creative concepts. Guys, we're so lucky to have him here today, all the way from South Africa. Guys, I can't wait for you to meet him, learn about his story, and learn more about him. Let's cue the intro, and we'll jump right in. Listen, there's a lot to learn when growing and scaling your business. That's why we created the Business Choreography Podcast, where we talk about choreographing your marketing, operations, and sales into dynamic systems that increase your revenue and your impact. We'll explore solid business principles and discuss all things that make businesses dance to success with clarity. We'll help you figure out where the holes are in your business and what you can do to fix them. Think of us as your official business choreographers, aka your insider growth strategists. Remember, your choreography matters. Welcome to the Business Choreography Podcast. John, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining us today. Hey, thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. So excited to jump in and talk all sorts of stuff. But before we do, I mean, we got to hear a little bit about you in the intro. And I want to tell the backstory. I love talking about the journey. We know as an entrepreneur and as a business owner, it's never a straight line. And I think it's so important to share those stories with everybody. So let's dig back in. How'd you get started? How'd you end up down to where you're at now and on this path? Uh, I'm going to try and compress it so that I don't bore you with an incredibly <laughs> long story. But I guess, I mean, you're right in that it's it's a zigzag, you know. Um, I was trained, I guess I'll start at training, copywriter, went into advertising, basically came up in advertising, assistant creative director, creative director, tweaked out, because I've got kind of like a love-hate relationship with in-stage <laughs> capitalism, and uh, went to Japan for five years and taught English um, there. Wow. Came back, freelanced, got back into the advertising uh, kind of gig. Uh, and then after a few years of that, which I really enjoyed, eventually freaked out again, took a sabbatical year. So um, sold my car to kind of fund myself um, doing creative projects. I did one project every month for a year, stand-up comedy, learning Adobe InDesign, radio plays, that kind of thing. Wow. Uh, yeah. Well, so that was that was a interesting year. Um and then went back to work kind of inside a big company inside. Uh, you guys don't have Virgin. I mean, you guys know Virgin Atlantic and the Virgin brand and all that. But Virgin Active, the gym brand, I don't think really exists in the US, no. right? Mm-mm. Right. So it's mostly the UK and South Africa is, I think, its biggest market. So I, I was just in-house CD at their, um, in their marketing department for a couple of years. Uh, and then I went freelance. And then a few months before, I'd always you know loved radio and had focused on that in my work and loved audio. So in about January 2020, right before the pandemic hit, I started Ping Productions and decided to get into podcasting. And it turned out to be pretty good timing because, you know, with the pandemic and being locked up and all that kind of thing, everyone switched to Zoom suddenly and it was all online interviews. And um, and yeah, now it's been three years of, of pretty much of kind of splitting my time between brand strategy, copywriting, and uh, podcast production. Wow. I mean, you couldn't talk about a more zigzag journey. Than that. Yeah, <laughs> I did everything except become like a mechanic and then, you know, go with <laughs> something like English teaching is not that far away, at least. Okay, before we get into some of the other stuff, I want to know why English in Japan, like what 
what made you think, hey, let's teach English in Japan? Well, I had a friend, uh, well, I have a friend who's now in China, but he was in Japan at the time teaching on the government teaching program. And I went to visit him for two weeks. Uh, I met a girl, I fell in love. I came back to South Africa. Everything looked a little bit uh, monochromatic. And eventually I quit my job and I went to go back to Japan to basically be with her. And then also I love, I loved Japan when I was there. So I ended up getting into the same teaching program and then spent the next five years living there. Uh, and then after five years, uh, you know, decided it was time to, to come back. We came back to South Africa. The, the relationship didn't last m much longer than that, unfortunately, but the, um, <laughs> but the, uh, the experience was, you know, incredible. Like a five year right. stint in Japan is life changing. Right. And such a, such a unique and beautiful culture. I'm sure mm. you picked up a lot of, a lot of that along the way in five years and teaching, teaching the kids there. Yeah, well, you know, teaching, I've done student teaching in England, and I've done uh, teaching in, in Japan now as well. And I do enjoy it. Uh, and, but you know, I, it's funny how you leave things behind. Because when I got home, I, I kind of expected myself to, to bring a whole bunch of like kind of autonomic functions back from Japan. But it turned out that I didn't take my shoes off when I got home, I just walked in the door wearing my shoes. And just kind of readjusted back to living right. in Cape Town in South Africa. And, and obviously, I, I carry a lot of memories and experiences and all that. But I don't, um, you know, I'm not one of those people who their identity is informed by I lived in Japan um, every day, you know. Sure, sure. Well, I'm sure the teaching of English had an impact on the copywriting side. Talk to me about how you got the copyright thing go copywriting thing going and how you you started studying that and why that was so intriguing to you well i think you know that was kind of back at the leaving school and then going into university i did an english degree and then i decided that i i would like to be a writer but i would also like to eat and have a roof over my head so <laughs> to be kind of the way to do that you know right right alternative was poetry or theater or something <laughs> like that. um so yeah, so I, I, I worked at a, a few agencies in my early 20s before I went to Japan. And then when I came back, I freelanced because I, no one, it's funny, you stop for five years and then you come back and everyone just assumes that you've been working for the last five years, even when you tell them, I've been gone for five years. Right. They just treat you like a senior, even though you don't have, haven't had any copywriting experience <laughs> over the last five years. So it's like this weird um, kind of get out of jail free card. Like I should have right. come back as someone with really two years experience but they treated me as if i had seven and it's obvious you know there's like kind of subtextually you're getting older and they people see that and you know it's the the receding hairline and they go oh he must know what he's doing because he's old <laughs> <laughs> but um yeah but I managed to kind of fake my way through it and uh yeah and then copywriting eventually gave way to creative direction which but i i don't know i'm not sure about what it's like in the US. I've never worked in a US agency, but here it's very much a case that most copywriter, most creative directors work, you know, they work on briefs and they creative direct. ECDs are at the level where they don't do much writing or art direction or design or whatever it might be. They mostly give feedback. But in, in my experience, it's always been like a working CD thing, which I'm grateful for because I've known plenty of CDs who can't use Photoshop anymore or haven't written a script in years and that kind of thing. Right. What is it about the 
creative directing experience that you had that's really helped you now in your current uh, state of work? Well, I would say that it makes you pretty comfortable with presenting and asking questions and and listening mostly, right? Because creative direction is mostly about, you know, listening to ideas and then trying to find a kernel within them and then using it as a springboard to jump onto something good. So that certainly, I think, helps in interviews a lot. Um, and then, you know, with simple age comes a little bit of maturity, which I think helps with, you know, running a production company, it's small. It's literally, this is a, a one-man band with a couple of freelancers who help me out. But it does, you know, it is multifaceted. So, and a creative direction job is multifaceted. Right. But recently, I've actually kind of unlocked a, a new level in that I'm, I'm producing a show which is much more technically advanced than anything I've done before with kind of interweaving interviews and all that kind of thing. So, you know, I've edited it. I let it rest for a couple of days. And then I listen to it when I go for a walk on the beach and I start giving myself feedback. So in that creative director mode, I'm kind of making it a lot better than I would if I didn't stop and listen and, and, and give myself that feedback, you know? So I just send myself voice notes. And then when I get home, I, I do the edits. Nice. That is incredible. You know, in your, uh, in the intro, I said you were an ideas guy and I'm sure that led to being in that creative space, but also I'm sure it's helped in creating your own thing. And as you were starting to create ping productions and talk to me about being an idea guy, because I know that a lot of entrepreneurs suffer from this, this, uh, bane of being an idea guy and trying to figure out how am I going to turn that into a business? <laughs> Totally. Yeah, absolutely. You know, when you, you turn around and you, you think about like there's writers better than me, there's, there's, there's businessmen better than me, there's podcasters far better than me. Like, and you like to think that being an ideas person, cool, that's what I've got. That's, that's my strength, but it doesn't mean anything without production, you know, without the right. ability to, to make it happen. So that's to a degree, that's what getting into podcast production was about because for me, film production is, hard it's very multifaceted it's like a you know a director is like an orchestra conductor and he needs other people to you mostly need other people to make stuff unless you're a youtuber or a, if you're on twitch or something like that but podcast production was simple enough that i could kind of attack it and learn it pretty quickly and and get into it and actually start kind of generating revenue with it but um it was an opportunity for me to actually be able to produce something because I've always said that if there's a zombie apocalypse, like copywriters are going first, <laughs> they've got like no useful skills in the wasteland whatsoever. Well, I think lawyers will actually die first. We, <laughs> we, we I don't know. I, I think you're, you're, uh, your copywriter. Who would you eat first? Copywriter down. or lawyer? L a lawyer. <laughs> right. There you go. They're out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, we'll at least save uh, some money on our on our uh, contracts and agreements. <laughs> <laughs> totally. um, well, I love that. You know, with let's talk a little bit about that uh, that concept though in in copywriting because to some extent, I I think there's a whole lot of naysayers right now about AI and and copywriters mm. in that position. Like, what do you feel like from your experience is the biggest challenge? for copywriters now with the AI revolution happening. Yeah, my my head is still spinning a little bit with ChatGPT and I've actually wanted to produce a show about it simply to 
simply to explore it. And, right. you know, there's been a few times over the last few years where you, you feel like I felt like I've missed the boat, right? So Bitcoin, wish I bought some Bitcoin when it cost almost nothing, right? Right. Um, when it came to digital marketing and kind of the the paid paid media marketing in, in Facebook as it was back then, like that was a that was a shift, a tectonic shift that was initially resisted by many people in the creative industry. You know, I just wanted to be a craft writer. I don't want to get involved in this paper click and, <laughs> and all of this generative nonsense, right? Because it felt cheap instead right. of making a 60 second TV commercial for Nike, which was the dream, right? Right. So in the case of GPT, though, it feels like this is another wave that if you don't ride it, then you're going to drown. Right. Um, so... <laughs> I don't know where I'm right. Where I am right now is I feel like it's going to split into two different directions. There's people who are going <clears> to <throat> use AI to increase their productivity, but will probably end up kind of working themselves to death even more just right. because you're going to be expected now to create 10 blog posts in an hour instead of one blog post in a day. Right. <clears throat> so that'll be the stream one. And then the other stream is what I kind of like to think of as radical authenticity where in a world of AI, the best thing you I can do right now is be as human as possible. Right. So, and have, and brands as well. Like if they don't have a really solid human voice, then everyone's just going to assume that they're written by an AI and we'll get very good at picking out, you know, I can already start to pick out when someone has used an AI. Usually when it comes to GPT, it's, it starts with a nice little pricey sentence of what's about to happen. Then it gives you a list using firstly, and then finally at the end, and then it summarizes it at the end. And if you see that structure, which is kind of like a classic, you know, university taught structure, which it uses, then you go, okay, cool. And someone just sent me an email that's GPT. And there's definitely a sense that, you know, that's, that's, we don't like that. You know, right. we don't like being talked to by a machine in the proxy of a human. So yeah, that's, I'm just going to quick ramble then in this show. I wrote a script. I recorded myself saying the intro. I did it all highly professionally and it didn't feel right. And then I took the script and I tried to do it kind of more improv and that still didn't feel right. And eventually I ended up recording the intro on the beach on a walk with, you know, the waves are crashing in the background, highly unprofessional, like not something that any podcaster would normally do. But for me, it gives a sense of like, hey, there's a real person making this. And it adds a little bit of charm, which I feel like will stand out from what is the the current standard for podcasts going up and up in terms of quality, especially with, you know, uh, um, Adobe's AI audio fixing tools and all those kind of things. You can sound like you're in a studio very easily, but everyone sounds like they're in a studio, you know? Right. Right. I, I see it coming and it's a, it's such an interesting idea, especially for those of us that are podcasters, because we've watched it happen through Facebook and through the onset of, more casual recordings actually starting to do better. And that happened well before AI was really coming into play. Yeah, Instagram took that turn. Absolutely. And so you're better off holding your phone straight up and down and, and doing a, a recording because people assume that if you're doing that, then it's not canned and you didn't write a script for it to sell them. And sure. so therefore there's some authenticity, like you said earlier in it. Mm -hmm. And I feel like there's going to, to be this time period of AI just starting to get its 
uh, its legs under it. And then there's, it's going to quickly shift to, like you said, that authenticity. I want to see that charm. I want to see who you are and what you're all about. And I want to know that I'm talking to or listening to a real human, not the generated stuff that, that came from the whole of the internet. And sure. I, I can totally see that. And I, I, I just wonder, like, how do you feel like being an audio fanatic? How do you feel like that's going to affect the need for quality audio and quality sound when people are starting to relate that to maybe more a uh, more produced kind of a feel? Therefore, maybe it's connected to AI. I don't know. Maybe there isn't a connection there. But do you, do you see that as a, a challenge coming up? Well, you know, I think that I think there will be at least in some way like a pendulum swing away from um, from worrying too much about audio quality. It always has to be audible. It always has to sound all right. Um, but it's not going to be like the predominant thing. I mean, you can already tell, uh, for example, the number one, the number two podcast in South Africa is called True Crime South Africa. And obviously right. True Crime is this massive you know, sector of that, that industry. Right. And uh, I met the the lady who produces it and she still records in a cardboard box with some foam in it and her, her microphone in there. She's only just started doing um, uh, any kind of ads or any kind of revenue generation. And I think she gets like 35,000 listens in the first two weeks of her, every episode or something like wow. that. And South Africa is not a big market. I mean, that's our key thing is that the U S is huge, but our market is, is teeny tiny. And it's really about the content, you know, right. And AI will be able to generate <clears throat> fantastic content. If the premise of your show is that we're going to boil down all the information in the whole world into on this topic, into a, like a, a guide or whatever it might be, then great. AI is going to be great at that. But um, I think it's still going to be a little bit longer before it can have character and humor and all that kind of thing. Right. Well, and I think that's huge to be able to have someone with your expertise and experience in not only the creative direction, but understanding how to turn those ideas into reality and bringing the quality production of the audio, bringing the brand work and and all of those creative concepts into a solid package like there's it's i just don't see the robots being able to do that in a way that can still convey humanness and totally. i i really feel like listening to you talk you can hear the passion about it and and the the knowledge behind it and i think that part is super valuable for sure mm. yeah talk to me a little bit about the the process of going like let's say somebody came to you and they're hearing this and they're like oh people have been hounding me to create a podcast for years and i know i should do it and i've i've wanted to do it but oh it seems insurmountable talk to me about what it would be like for them to come in and and bring you on and say hey yeah i want to i want to do something like this well you know i i produce for brands i produce i've produced for um kind of small retail brands and then also b2b stuff and then internal stuff and then i've done a couple of tests i've never done a proper kind of single thought leader thing um a couple of linkedin pieces and all that uh, 
and I guess if someone said, you know, I've got a podcast inside me and oh, I've got a story inside me that I want to tell through a podcast, um, usually what they want is for someone to do absolutely everything except the talking. <laughs> like they just want to show up and talk and then leave right. and then there's a show, right? Sure. Um, which is, you know, which is fine. It, it just it t- costs a lot of time and, and money to make that happen because, right. you know, then you're kind of handling every aspect of it. I'm always interested interested to see services that offer podcast production as a, you know, kind of as a, a commodity because they do editing. They put a top and a tail, and then they might run it through Descript and take out the ums and the ahs. But it's not, you know, there's no editorial knowledge to it. There's no kind of conceptual idea behind the show. What I've, you know, where I'm coming to right now, and like I'm the first to admit, I'm very much still learning. I'm like in no way like the expert upon any of this stuff. But where my mind is at right now is that the, you know, the standard, the standard interview, if you've been building it for a while, like, like, I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to like annoy you here, but if you've been building it for a while and you've got a community and you've got listeners, then that's awesome. But anyone launching tomorrow, if your plan is I'm going to, you know, interview everyone once a week and we're going to talk about marketing, then you're in trouble. Like, I feel like there either needs to be a structure or an idea behind the show that makes it stand out, or you need to have like a network that is very powerful, or you need to have, you need to put some, you know, media money behind it or something. Your plan can't be, I'm going to organically grow conversations in a massive, you know, if you're doing marketing, like do biopharma or like pick a niche and all that kind of thing. So this this is all stuff we already know, but that's the kind of advice that I would give someone. Um, And honestly, with the tools available now, you could also produce your own show on your phone very, very easily. Like right. I can, you know, put a phone on the table here, record the show, put it on Anchor, edit it in the app. I've actually been thinking about making like, what's the phone only guide to making a <laughs> podcast? You know, <laughs> I know, I know some people would be excited to have it, so you should build it and let us know. We'll, we'll let everybody <laughs> know. Um, I, I mean, and I've seen that. I there are some definite uh, challenges with that, obviously. Uh, I'm not sure where Anchor is these days, but it used to be that that I read through their their agreement and you don't actually own your own show. So even if you produce it with them, yeah, it's free. But once it's on their platform, they own the rights to it. And right. uh, and so that that's a, a quick push to, hey, maybe you should take a little bit of effort and put put some effort into what you're doing so that you can remain in control of your content. Absolutely. Um, just on the Spotify thing, that was a big kind of red flag when when Anchor first launched. I right. don't think it's part of their thing anymore. Oh. I, I think they actually removed that. Um, the restrictions are that you you can only have one show per email address. Um, overall, as a platform, I'd say now it's it's pretty good. And being linked into the Spotify right. Garden verse is is good. But I do use Buzzsprout for some of my other shows, which is you know you own your show definitely, and it's. You know, I'm very much aware of the thing that if if you're not paying for the product, then you're the product. So yeah, <laughs> right. I'm leery of anchor in that way. Right, right. What is your experience in getting a podcast to to really take off? I mean, you talked already a little bit about making sure that they're very honed in on on their meaning and purpose behind creating the show. You can't just be in the, in the red ocean with a whole bunch of other people doing the same exact thing, but mm. what, what, uh, what advice 
can we dig into a little bit there and and really hone in on for creating what that could be about? I mean, obviously, some people think, oh, I, I need to do a podcast. No idea. Just no idea what, what I'm going to talk about or how sure. I'm going to make my thing different. What, what am I going to get on and, and speak about for all these episodes, you know? So what, give us some direction in that regard. Look, I mean, I think that breaks down to like a few different pieces. Like the number one being like, what's the content, right? So if someone, usually if someone wants a show, then they, they are in some way an expert or, or, or a very into some kind of niche that they're happy to talk about. If they can't write down, I mean, people usually say 50 topics that they're happy to talk about, then you probably don't have a show, right? Right. Which is how you do end up with the default of, I'm just going to interview people in the industry. Because right. that's is 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 a is a much more you know um that's why it's also good to review movies or talk about music because there's always new content coming your way which right. you know so that there's always something prompting you um so content is the, what the idea is the most is the most important thing and you know i've made lots of mistakes in the product in learning the production of, of podcasts and so far you know the show that's done the best for me is called south african expats and it's talking um to people who have emigrated from South Africa to other countries about their experience, how they got there, why they left, and when they arrived, is it what they expected, how life is different, and all that kind of thing. And it's um, and it's done it's done it's done very well, and it's on hold right now while I produce this other show. But um, I guess it's it's done well in spite of the fact that it has no media money behind it. It's completely organic. Wow. And I think the, so. The number one way that I would you know, the one one piece of advice that I would give to people now is that you have to actually put media money behind it. Like mm -hmm. the expectation of like build it and they will come is no longer a thing in podcasting. In the US especially because your guys' market is incredibly advanced with, you know, uh, with the advertising structures built behind it and monetization and all that kind of thing. It's, very, it's way ahead of where we are. In South Africa, it's still a bit of a cottage industry. Right. And also you can produce any show and make it, you know, music in South Africa, and then you're automatically much more relevant to your listeners, right? Because all the other shows they're listening to are from the US or the UK or whatever it might be. So, um, so if someone you know came to me in South Africa, I would say, okay, cool. What can you do that someone in the US can't? You can talk about what's the South African element of this digital right. marketing in South Africa as opposed to the rest of the world. Um, so, uh, find a way to to have a niche, and usually that means speaking you know, to a community that you hopefully already have. Like if, you, if you've got a community you can try to convert to podcasts, great. If you don't, then you're going to have to pay uh, to make that happen. So that's where I am right now. And I'm in this next show, I'm going to be, I was going to get sponsors, but now I'm actually just going to self-fund it and buy ads um, in other podcasts. Uh, well, I'm actually getting a free spot in that True Crime South Africa because the lady producing it very nicely gives free space to South African shows who are not, commercial wow um, and then a couple of other things like i think facebook communities are very powerful they've got large numbers of members often highly engaged uh the resource cost is a show that i produce for south african uh, creative freelancers and that's a very engaging uh, facebook group and the, the audience is there so that show also kind of works uh yeah so i think i'm rambling a bit but i would say content don't expect it to grow without some work and uh, and then, you know, find your niche, but 
it's easy to say that, but um, you can also you can also find a niche by being the only person in the market doing something. You know, right. so if right. you're talking about tiddlywinks in Japan, you're the only show in Japan doing it. So <laughs> everyone who does tiddlywinks in Japan is going to listen to that show. So that's right. what it's based to be in. Right. All right. So tell me a little bit, tell, tell our listeners a little bit about how they can find you, how they could connect with you. If they're listening, they're like, man, I, I really just want to talk to them, maybe work with you, maybe find out more about how you can help them. What's the best way for them to, uh, to do that? Uh, well, I mean, the website is pingproductions.net. Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn. Uh, uh, Jonathan Vanka is my full name. Good luck spelling it. It's W-A-R-N-C-K-E. <laughs> it's German, and it's been a, a bane upon my existence. Uh, the um, And I probably say it wrong myself because my, my dad <laughs> came down to South Africa, and uh, it's a German surname. But if I go to Germany and say my name, they'll probably say, mm, that's not how that word is. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, LinkedIn and the website are the best place to find me. I'm very happy to help anyone just to have a chat. I love talking about this stuff and, uh, yeah. And, uh, thanks for that, that platform. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Hey, you know what? It has been an absolute pleasure to have you on the show and talk with you about this stuff. Uh, super fun and great to be able to glean your experience and your knowledge from it. Guys, everybody listening, go check out pingproductions.com and see, uh, or sorry, .net and see what you can do with John. And uh, until next time, make sure you keep choreographing your business. It's important. Don't just wander around aimlessly. We'll talk to you guys next time on the Business Choreography Podcast. Take care. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for joining us today. Want more business choreography? Check out our website at bizchoreo.com to find out more. And find out how the choreography for your marketing operations and sales can raise your revenue and create more impact. Remember, every business needs choreography.